This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Beauty is so fundamental. Like we're made to feel that beauty is superficial, not important, materialistic. And yet it's not. It's what drives human passion and, and beauty is essential to human existence, actually. Like what would life be without beauty? And so the pursuit of beauty can be a very serious and important thing that every day I'm looking for beauty in my life. So I really value clients who feel the same way. They just that little touch of confidence building changes your outlook. Welcome to Wellness, Fact versus Fiction. I'm Dr. Danielle Bellardo, and I'm a cardiologist who loves evidence-based medicine and nutrition science. But as a millennial, I've watched endless wellness fads take over social media. It's my mission to get to the bottom of things by bringing on the top expert physicians and scientists to help us determine what is fact versus fiction when it comes to your health. It's time to leave the pseudoscience behind and become empowered when it comes to our wellness. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Wellness Fact versus Fiction. And today we have a really exciting episode. We have the famous, most brilliant, most beautiful Dr. K on today. She's a fellow of the American College of Surgeons. She's a member of the American Academy of Facial Plastics and Reconstructive Surgery, board certified surgeon by the American Board of ENT head and neck surgery. Uh, she's chair of the Department of ENT at Huntington Memorial Hospital and a clinical professor at UCLA. Her natural approach to facial rejuvenation is sought after by patients from literally around the world. Every celebrity possible sees her and she's just an absolutely incredible human. So Dr. K, thank you so much for joining us today. I am honored to be on the podcast of the beautiful and brainy Dr. Bellardo. I think it should be called beautiful and brainy. <laughs> no, you are so sweet. Well, you are amazing. And one of the things I love about you, um, before we actually deep dive into all things aesthetics and plastic surgery and injectables, because you're so brilliant and knowledgeable and gorgeous and amazing, and I love you dearly. But before we jump into that, I actually wanted to touch on the fact that, you know, this episode, I think, is going to be an interesting one because there is this dichotomy that's so present in society that's so limiting that exists. So 
you're either a person of substance or you're a vapid, egotistical person who just cares about your looks. And unfortunately, I feel especially as women, there's just this constant scrutiny. So it's either you look too done up or that's too much makeup or you look so tired or why are you so frumpy? And this dichotomy of judgment has definitely persisted in your arena, in the arena of plastic surgery and aesthetics. Some of the harshest judgment women face is by other women, criticizing them for whether it's getting Botox or lip fillers or demonizing women for doing anything cosmetic. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's still fierce criticism of women for aging naturally or for their weight or to have a perfect body or aspiring to have a face that looks like an Instagram filter with no pores um, and, and the like. But you specifically, the reason why I wanted to have you on for this podcast is because you specifically are such an amazing advocate for women. You're both a feminist who empowers women to feel beautiful in their own skin, as well as an artist, and as well as a person who's able to uplift women and provide them, which I think is important, the autonomy to make decisions about their aesthetics that stay true to who they are. And so my first question for you to open up this podcast is how do you reconcile these two worlds? And what are your thoughts for the harsh critics on both sides? Wow, what an intro. I'm so honored and delighted to come on your podcast. And I think you embody like my ideal client. I want a woman who is powerful and brainy and like really knows what she likes as a woman. And that could be something very feminine, very sexy. It does not have to be all scientific numbers in order for us to be taken seriously as what we do. And I've grown up in this environment of being raised by surgeons. You know, the last 20 years of my life, I've been in the operating room, being trained in residency and med school. Everything we do is male-driven and male-dictated. And our definition of what's beautiful is also, you know, quite labeled upon us by male plastic surgeons, males doing research in this industry and telling us what beauty is. So I'm against that. I think that we have big enough intellectual capacity to understand something can be sexy and still you can have a very factual mind. You can have a very serious job. You should be taken seriously for what you do. And on the converse, I can want gorgeous, sexy lips and expect someone to listen to my, my words when I'm talking to them, as opposed to just the beauty in front of their faces. So it's really tragic that women are cursed with this sexism that we put so much value into our appearances in our twenties and thirties and we're literally built up our value as a person and a commodity is half what you look like and half what you come across as that's your worth to society. So then as you age and you go through the natural process, you know, your value deteriorates. And by the time that women announce that they're 50 years old on publicly, that's like the, akin to saying that you're done and dead. Like Cindy Crawford saying she turned 50. That was it. She was no longer relevant. It was her daughter who took over the platform then. So, okay, so I'm kind of always torn by like, you know, the the role of beauty. Beauty is so fundamental. Like we're made to feel that beauty is superficial, not important, materialistic. And yet it's not. It's what drives human passion and, and beauty is essential to human existence, actually. Like what would life be without beauty? And so the pursuit of beauty can be a very serious and important thing that every day I'm looking for beauty in my life. So I really value clients who feel the same way. They just that little touch of confidence building changes your outlook. I love the way you said that. That's so 
beautiful to just use your actual word for this because it's actually so true. You are such a genuine person and you truly do empower women. And I think that what's so important is that you have a range of clients. So you have clients that are physicians, you have patients that are physicians, that are scientists, that are engineers. You have patients that are OnlyFans creators that are, you know, gorgeous models that are celebrities Mm -hmm. that are actresses. And what I think is phenomenal is that there is a way to respect everyone's choice and decision in what they feel is best for them. And whether that's a little Botox here and there, a little filler, or whether it's something, you know, a little more invasive, like a rhinoplasty or a facelift. I think that what's important is that you really embody and you really emphasize that it's you support your patients in the beauty on the inside and out and allowing them to do things that are still true to who they are. And I think that your wide range of clientele and your beautiful work speaks volumes for that. It's so interesting what you're saying because I'm in I'm in Los Angeles, but I'm in Pasadena, which is right by Caltech, like two miles away from Caltech. So literally I have patients who are STEM scientists, Nobel Prize winning women. And then literally I have top one point, you know, point one percent earners from OnlyFans. And I love them all the same. And I'm seeing now the spectrum of beauty from age 15 all the way up to age. My oldest client is 89 years old, still getting Botox coming with her matching lipstick and purse and looking so adorable. And I love that it just makes her feel better. Like It doesn't take away every wrinkle, but it's that one little bit of self-care that makes you realize that your personal value, what you project and put into the universe matters. The days you don't show up for yourself, you don't feel as good. We all experienced that during the pandemic, the sweatpants and, you know, days of like no grooming and hairs, roots showing. You just don't feel like you're showing up for yourself 100%. So you perform better. When you look better, human nature is funny, but you look better, you have a good hair day, you perform better. I totally agree. My Nonna, she from Italy, my grandmother, she came to America when my dad went to my dad and my grandma came to America when he went to college um, at Columbia, actually in New York. And then they ended up staying and my grandmother never really learned English, but she was in, uh, she was in masseuse and she also was, um, she did facials and she did things like that. And I used to judge her myself. I love her. RIP. She's passed away, but I used to judge her myself when I was younger because she was like 92, still making my dad drive her to the dermatologist to get brown spots lasered off at 92 because of mm-hmm. she just like didn't want them. And she just, it made her happy. And I remember being younger, being like, that's so ridiculous. Why would you do that? And now as I've gotten older, I just love that it made her feel good to whether she was 90 or 29 to just wear red lipstick to put on, you know, her favorite coat to get, you know, her, these brown spots lasered off. I mean, it brought her joy and confidence and whatever that was. And I think it's beautiful. Like you mentioned that it can be, there's a wide spectrum of it. Uh, Beauty really is internal, but also the spectrum of uh, how much you want to, you know, enhance your own appearance is also very individualized. And 
I think it's important to acknowledge that. We do talk a lot about in this era of body positivity, which I think is so important. I mean, I think Gen Z is just fantastic. They're really kind of in many ways, you know, blowing the cap off of a lot of the perfectionist image that we used to see. Um, and a lot of, you know, unfiltered, real, just, just genuine, you know, mm-hmm. presence. At the same time, though, I find so many women because Dr. K, for everyone listening, Dr. K does my Botox. And I will tell you how many women who say to me, I would never admit that I get Botox or they will never admit that they get filler or they would never admit that they got, you know, some sort of plastic surgery because they're so afraid of the shame or, you know, the judgment from other women. And I think that that is just as unfair as being judged for not doing anything at all. I agree. I think that whole stigma of like, why can't you discuss openly what you've had done? It's just, it's like the shame of the 50s, 60s and 70s all added up and it still exists to some extent in people's heads. And maybe people are private. They don't want to disclose everything they're doing. But to say that you're fully natural when you're not is like unacceptable. It creates artificial beauty standards like JLo saying, she's just gorgeous from her bathing in olive oil. Like, yeah, I I'm bathing in olive oil too, but I had Botox and filler (laughs) and biostimulators and good skincare. (laughs) I think that you're so right that Gen Z has changed how we allow people to exist. Like imagine when I was younger, looking through 17 magazine, I had to be blonde. I had to be blue eyed. I had, I needed to be like poreless. I needed to not have any ethnic features. And like now, thank God that kids out there have every body shape, every image, every sexuality, you know, all kinds of different facial features, models who have vitiligo, models who are bald, like every, there is space on the planet for everyone. We don't all have to be Ken and Barbie. So I kind of love that. But I also kind of think that Instagram, like you have a really awesome Instagram account. My Instagram, Beauty by Dr. K also has driven a lot of wild success to our office and our TikTok too. We've seen all the top 10 TikTokers. But I've also seen the pathology that comes with that because I see people who are so focused on how do they look on screen and on camera and they have minor asymmetries that drive them. You can literally drive yourself insane if you see perfection, too much perfection seeking. So the Society of Beauty Perfectionism has also gone the opposite way from what's healthy and normal. Absolutely. I was actually, that was going to be one of my next questions for you is how do you think social media has impacted beauty standards, self-image and, and all of that? There's obviously, we just discussed many positives with Gen Z kind of really, and even, even people in the millennial generation who have kind of really shattered some of the standards of what is a perfect body or what is a perfect face or, you know, um, various different parameters. But what do you think the negatives of social media you've seen have been? Well, it's definitely like not living life actively, right? Like living through the scroll, like the mindless scroll and forgetting how beautiful it is outside and getting off of your phone where you tend to really dwell on how imperfect you are. One thing I've done actively is try to unfollow accounts that make me feel insecure and inadequate. When you look at some perfect model having yogurt, stretching, doing yoga and juicing her kale in the morning, 
<laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, oh God, I didn't do that. I overslept. I didn't do that exercise. I feel like shit because <laughs> that this account does not make me feel good about myself. Unfollow. And I've also sort of like tried to follow five or six accounts of women who are, are older than me. Like, who do I want to be in the next 10 years, 15 years? And I want to emulate the lives that they're living. They're so cool. They're so like doing entrepreneurial things or traveling or very creative types and like doing more than just like being pretty. And then also following some 10 girls that are younger than me that inspire me with their drive, their ambition and their realness, you know? So I think taking a good look at your own Instagram and finding those perfect model features that are so carefully crafted, like delete them the ones that have the matching choreographed images and color coordinated postings (laughs) we're tired of that (laughs) so i'm trying to make my my feed of what comes to me more realistic because it needs to inspire you and just like less focus on super perfectionism instagram has made all of us kind of homogenized and every woman i see coming into the office now wants those really natural lips that they see on this and this and this model and they pull up I'm like, that's not natural. That's three syringes. Ah! So our perception, our perception of what normal and natural is has changed so that people think that it's natural to have very full and these models are just born with this amount of beauty. It's not natural. It's it's just kind of changing. And I think it's so important, like you said, is that the celebrities that no judgment if anyone's had work done. I literally, I am wrinkle free because of you and because, because of Botox injections and because of retinoids and because of Dr. K's, by the way, amazing skincare. But, you know, so many of these celebrities who claim, like you said, mentioned JLo, you know, that they have just used olive oil or XYZ. You're right. It sets up these expectations that are unrealistic, that are just not founded in any reality. And then you know, make people aspire towards something that isn't actually possible. And so I definitely, I agree. That's, that's a huge negative, but you know, for anyone listening, who's thinking about possibly, uh, you know, changing their uh, appearance in some way that feels authentic and good to them. Um, I wanted to cover with you and ask you, because of your expertise, um, I wanted to ask you about some of the differences between non-surgical versus surgical interventions for some things. And the reason being is because you know how they say, when you have a hammer, everything is a nail. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, for you as a facial plastic surgeon, you have the ability to do a rhinoplasty for someone in the OR. Um, And you also have the ability to do a non-surgical rhinoplasty, which you guys have to check out Dr. K's Instagram. It is so amazing (laughs) because you can see it is like sorcery magic that you do this with filler. And so you you also have the ability to do non-surgical rhinoplasty. And why I think your opinion is so important, and I can't wait to hear what you think, is because you can do both, I would love for you to explain to anyone listening Who do you usually recommend, you know, which procedure for? What are some of the benefits of surgical versus what are some of the benefits of non-surgical versus also some of the maybe not so great parts of either? And how does someone decide 
Yeah, great question. So having trained as a surgeon and I do a lot of nasal surgery, like the last 20 years has all been mm. about surgery. So it's very, been very cool to see this evolution towards non-surgical. And a lot of it even was driven by COVID, by being locked out of the operating room for months, a few months at a time. And so I really perfected my, what I call my Tinkerbell tip lift, which was my non-surgical liquid rhinoplasty. And it's a technique that I love. I love it a lot because there's no downtime, literally 15 or 20 minutes. We use a topical numbing and patients can have a transforming experience. Like I can achieve near surgical results or in some cases, I think better than surgery because the degree of precision, millimeters of change that look really super subtle and creating a nose where the light reflection is just so pretty that people all feel refined. It's like you've been photoshopped. You feel refined and refreshed, very feminine. Works for almost every nose type. So I've used it for large pumps, drooping tips, um, bulbous tip, tip asymmetry. So it's uniformly a great procedure. It also works well for people who've had a rhinoplasty that wasn't perfect and they're able to do a revision and really smoothen out something that maybe they've tried a couple surgeries and it just hasn't gotten there. This is one of the happiest procedures we can do for patients. It is also one of the most dangerous procedures because I think, you know, like anything, if you don't have a ton of expertise and you don't know your anatomy, filler can be injected and travel through the blood circulatory system to the eye or the brain, causing very rarely stroke or blindness, um, skin necrosis or bad perfusion of the skin. And that's extremely rare. It's like, how rare is it for a plane to crash? You know, do planes crash? Yes. Will they crash? Will your flight crash? Most likely not. So I kind of, you know, analogize that. But I think that surgery is the gold standard for anyone wanting a permanent. Permanent is the key. It's a permanent procedure. And if you have an extremely large nose, large features that you want to make smaller or minimize a large pump, a very round and full bulbous tip, surgery is probably best for you. If you're very, very crooked, you have a very buckled or deviated septum, you have two nostrils that just look very asymmetrical, you certainly a deviated septum, then surgery is the best thing for you. So I think that there's that trade-off. The cost of surgery is a lot higher, like $20,000, you know, in LA, anywhere between ten dollars to $20,000 for two to three hours general anesthesia. So there's a little bit of risk, two weeks of recovery, wearing a cast, bruising, swelling, needing six to 12 months to really heal. And then, then you have the permanence and then things don't go right. You might need a revision, you know, like two or 3% of the time. Wow. And non-surgical, maybe a 10th of that cost, right? So 2,500 up to 3,500. And I think that it's, you know, it's going to last you 12 months to 18 months. I've seen people where I've done two or three liquid rhinos and they get results that with each successive treatment never goes back to your old nose. And so I think it can almost be semi-permanent after two or three sessions. It is so helpful for anyone listening that's kind of on the fence for both. I think that's so important that you mentioned the risk of it being how it's one of the 
most, you know, dangerous technically procedures with regards to filler placement. And I think it's also important to note that Dr. K is actually a world-renowned surgeon who does a lot of education for other physicians. And I know you've done lots of academic talks and talks across the board about how to avoid complications and safety because safety is absolutely your priority. You are meticulous. You are a meticulous artist. I think that's so important, especially in this era where, you know, no one can, as a cardiologist, so Dr. K's husband is actually an interventional cardiologist who does cath. (laughs) And so for me, as a non-invasive cardiologist, although I did, you know, a ton of caths in fellowship, for me, I can't walk into the UCLA cath lab right now and cath someone. I'm a non-invasive cardiologist. You know, um, your husband can, because he's an interventional cardiologist. Whereas with this very delicate, intricate anatomy of the face, now injectors can really span a wide variety of knowledge base, a wide variety of education. And when sometimes when people say to me, well, I'm going to a doctor, just because you have an MD after your name, it actually doesn't mean they're an expert injector that knows facial anatomy. You can be any specialty and get certified in it. So what are your thoughts about, because this is literally your expertise, what are your thoughts about the wide range of injectors and how does someone who's listening that either wants to do Botox or filler or, you know, Sculptra, which we'll we'll discuss, how do they navigate finding someone that's going to be safe and effective like you if they aren't in LA? Oh, such a good question because this industry is just exploding with possibility. Like they say something like only 4% of the women that are interested in injectables are actually doing treatment. So there's something, some, you know, 4%, it's an untapped market and it's growing like crazy. So you will find people who are not in this specialty, not in this zone of anatomy doing procedures in the face. And it terrifies me a lot to see like OB-GYN, urology, podiatry, emergency room doctors, and people who are just family practitioners doing injectables because anyone can learn. And with good teaching, we want to put out good techniques, but the reality is you are going to be practiced on by people out there if you don't do your homework. The best way to know who's a good injector is look at board certification level of degree and training and are they certified in the core specialties which will be plastic surgery facial plastic surgery oculoplastics and dermatology if you've trained in any of those you are certified and qualified to work in the face and head and neck area and in some cases in the body for plastics but if you're outside of those specialties then that person injecting you has better have a resume where they've attended five or six trainings a year where they're paying out of their pocket to go to conferences, two or three sessions where they've done anatomy dissection cadaver courses. So these are things you can ask. Have you ever done a cadaver course? And how many of these procedures have you done? It's your first liquid rhino. Well, I've done like 5,000. So, you know, there's a difference in like, you know, you have to have the man, the man hours, 10,000 hours of core hard work to get proficiency. So I really have a lot of fear for the general public. On the other hand, I'm a teacher and I feel we should make this accessible to anyone who wants to learn it. So I teach a course online it's called Modern Aesthetic Theory and Artistry, all about anatomy, how to do these things safely. Because if we don't teach it, people are going to get botched. They're going to get bad results. People are going to try it with no training sets. I really feel we might as well just teach and train. But if you're the consumer, like watch out because someone's going to charge you a seven, $800 for a syringe and their training will be nothing like mine. 
And so you get what you pay for. Look, study, do the homework. Don't just believe what you see on Instagram, which can be photoshopped. Absolutely. That's scary. Absolutely. It's so, so well said. The most fascinating, but also simultaneously frightening thing that I've seen is physicians in all specialties, including internal medicine subspecialties, who essentially do side moonlighting. And I not even, I'm not talking about hospital moonlighting. I'm just meaning side gig of aesthetics, like you said, an OBGYN or, uh, you know, any specialty. And they're just doing these one, maybe one day a month or one day every month, they're doing injectables, et cetera. And why that's so frightening to me is because I know what it is to do internal medicine training, medical school and cardiology fellowship. And I for sure cannot name any muscle or nerve in the face, <laughs> there is zero chance that I could inject anyone with a uh, filler. Even if I took a, a course, I still would not feel confident in the medical training I've had. And so I agree with you that it can, of course, that makes so much sense that it can be taught, but it is unfortunate. I think that there is this, what feels to me from social media, like this growing population of non-experts kind of taking advantage of that market. And I think a really good tip you gave too was that you do pay for what you get. And I think that one of the places to not, you know, jump for the Groupon is anything that's yeah. food a an injection in your face. Oh my gosh, please. You can buy a very cheap filler here in LA. Just go downtown on the street corner. Oh my God, you can get it on Amazon, literally. And you can that's watch YouTube videos. Yeah, we have people, crazy people watching YouTube videos of how to inject your face and then just <gasps> doing doing it on themselves and God knows what gel made in what country with what standards. So I think, you know, people do silly things. They go with their girlfriend to someone's garage to get their face injected or their lips or get, I'm seeing patients who have silicone that's very toxic that creates hard lumps, nodules and granulomas. We see people get butt injections with all kinds of horrible ingredients that are illegal. <gasps> and there's there's no reason for it when you can seek a qualified injector who knows what they're doing. And also just be a little picky, like look for board certification, look for a busy waiting room, look for someone who has word of mouth referrals where all the ladies leaving that office look pretty. They look good. You know, you have to ch do quality analysis. <laughs> before you let someone touch your face. What makes me laugh all the time is people are so damn picky about where they get their hair done. Like they will not cheap out on their hair. They will, <laughs> they will spend so much money and five hours of time sitting and getting like balayage and trim and low lights and highlights. And then, but for their face, they'll sometimes come in and be like, I'm in a rush. Can you just get this all done? And, <gasps> you know, so I'll go for the, the cheapest price Botox and cheapest price filler. You would never say, what's the cheapest place I can get my hair done? <laughs> You'll be like coming out of there with an orange head, you know? <laughs> that's, a, that's a really uh, good point. And um, I think it's also important to note that if someone is also respected by their colleagues, so for example, Dr. K is so respected by her fellow surgeons and the surgery community, which I think is so important and valuable. Yeah, but it's the wild, wild west out there. And like you mentioned on Instagram, it can be easily photoshopped. So the next surgical oh, yeah. versus non-surgical question I wanted to ask you, because I had asked my uh, listeners to submit their most common questions. And one was, 
how does someone decide, and if you could explain the difference between doing Kybella for the neck, if someone feels like they have a double chin that they're not able to, that's been bothering them and, you know, they've done diet, exercise and all that thing, everything. And it's just bothered them for a while. How do they decide between doing Kybella? And if you can explain what Kybella is versus doing like surgical liposuction or something like that. Well, sure. Kybella is our fat melting shot. It's called um, it's deoxycholic acid, which happens to be an acid that's produced in the gallbladder that digests your dietary fat that you eat. And so some genius person had the idea to <laughs> figure out how to lyophilize that molecule, made it into a solution and use it to digest fat, human fat. So it's a shot. Um, we use it in the submental area. It's FDA approved for double chin. It works really pretty great. It does take about three vials per inch of fat. That to be a pinch one inch takes about three vials. Ballpark runs around fifteen hundred. You might need to do three to six sessions. It depends on how much fat you have. And I'll always tell everybody that if you have a double chin, liposuction is the gold standard. Neck lipo can't be beat because it's your one and done. You get all the fat out of one setting. So that is a beautiful thing. With Kybella, if you're scared of surgery and you absolutely won't do surgery, then fine, then do the Kybella. But you're going to come back and forth. Um, you might dissolve when, you know, once a month, so three or four sessions. And each time you're going to swell. And people say, well, how much am I going to swell? And I say, okay, look down at your phone. You see that double chin? You'll look like that for a week. So you don't feel that pretty that week that you're swollen, but it definitely works. And it's really nice for spot treatment for jowls. That's off-label, FDA, not approved, but it works great there. It works for arm fat, bra fat, the banana roll under the butt, inner thighs. They've done a few studies that show it's quite effective for inner thighs. So it's a wonderful product for spot treatment of fat that you just can't get rid of with diet and exercise. What I think is so important about your opinion on these topics specifically, like I mentioned before, is that because you are a surgeon and because you do both, you know, you have no bias in, right. in, in the choice. And so you really do, you can provide either for the patients. Whereas if you're going to someone uh, who's only does injectables and they are not a surgeon, then you may feel like, well, is it really the best thing to do? You know, you give such a fair evaluation of, of the different options because you can do both. And so I think that's so important for people to note that when they're seeing a, a physician to remember, well, is the person able to do both? Because obviously there's going to even be some, on some level, some conscious bias to the one you can do, but since you can do both, you don't have that. So I think that's really valuable. Yeah. I think it's good because you will go into places where they don't know how to operate. They're of course they're gonna say yes, you should do Kybella. But I'll see people when they have too much double chin. I'm just gonna be like, hey, I think you should just go for lipo. Your neck lipo is gonna make more sense for you. It's one and done. You know, otherwise you're gonna have dissatisfied customers. So my goal is always to like make sure I have credibility, my reputation doesn't suffer, and people truly believe what I'm saying because I say what I mean, and I usually base that on fact and wanting people to to get great results why you're the best. So the other question for my listeners was, can you ask Dr. K to explain the difference for non-medical individuals between what is Botox used for versus what is traditional filler? What are the different kinds of fillers and what is Sculptra? What a great question. Okay. So uh, let's start with cosmetic surgery 101. So yes. our biggest and most important tool in the last 20 years 
Botox. It's a neuromodulator. That means it stops muscles from contracting and wrinkling. And so it's an injection. It's given into directly into muscle groups like forehead, frown lines, crow's feet. And it's going to work for about 90 days and it stops wrinkles, wrinkles, and dynamic movement lines. And because it stops the wrinkling, you're going to look smoother, more lifted. We use it to stop depressor muscles that look heavy and tired. And then you get the benefit of elevation. And filler, filler is a fat substitute. As we age, we lose facial fat. So when we lose facial fat, we'll have drooping, jowling, and heaviness. So sometimes fillers are used to replace volume to give lift and support. Often fillers are used to um, treat etched lines. So for example, nasal lines, lipstick lines. And so filler is just a nice way to add soft hydration, erase lines, and give some support back to the, to the face. And then Sculptra is a biostimulator. I got Sculptra. Dr. K did my Sculptra. I've done two sessions of Sculptra. I, it's amazing. I'm actually excited to learn what, what it actually is. <laughs> Yes, so Sculptra is a molecule called poly-L-lactic acid. It's a complex sugar molecule. And some genius had this bright idea, like this is the material that absorbable sutures are made of. So when you get your surgery and you have a big cut in your skin or stitching your skin closed, it holds the skin together and it helps create a scaffolding for collagen to grow. Your stitches get absorbed and go away, but the collagen stays behind. So what a beautiful idea. They took that same material that the stitches are made of. They pulverized it into a fine powder. And that is what Sculpture is. So Sculpture, when it's hydrated, then we inject it into the dermal layer, improves fine lines. It gives support and foundation for the face. It rebuilds like the loss of volume over time in these volume depleted areas like preauricular in front of the cheeks and the jowls and the temples. It's a collagen biostimulator. And as we do more and more filler, like filler is great. Everyone likes a beautiful immediate result with filler, but at some point you want to rent to own that collagen. I love that rent your own collagen, right? Because you can do filler and I'll see you every six months, every year, you'll be back. But like at some point you're like, okay, I need to own some of this. I need ownership of my youth and my collagen. After age 40, guess how much collagen that you lose? Oh my goodness. 25% of your collagen in your skin deteriorates after age 40. 25% collagen loss. So that's one of those scary statistics that if you do nothing and you continue to have depletion of your natural collagen, of course, the skin is going to droop and get crepey and get textural change and, you know, get the grandma changes, which we love our grandmas. But now we have the technology so that we don't have to have skin like our grandma. I am glad that I've started Sculptra in my 30s because <laughs> I didn't know all the quite those details of it, but that's so interesting. It's fascinating that it's literally using your own body's machine work and machinery and cells to build collagen. It feels so much more uh, natural. And maybe that's why it doesn't have a puffed face that people with filler can sometimes you know, get. Sculpture is so much more of a natural result because it's usually it's your own cells. I love that. It does not give you a puffy, doughy filler face look. No. no, no pillow face. Like we've seen the result of the last few 10 years of too much filler. Unbelievable. Lips that are too big, filler yep. migration. Um, the Academy Awards where these beautiful older women are just like inflating their big apple cheeks yes. to the point where like, who touched her face? She looks terrible. I just, you know. So we, we need to wean a little bit away from the tendency to use these gel fillers that draw in water and make you puffy and mm. evolve more towards these 
foundation builders that grow your natural collagen. What could be better? What could be better? It's incredible. I'm so lucky to have you as my friend and to have have you as the expert that is injecting my face with Botox. I am so lucky <laughs> because you are <laughs> incredible. We can be women of substance and still how we look, it matters as to how we show up in the world. And I feel good about myself that way. I totally agree. And I, I think that's uh, such a good point, especially because, especially as women in medicine, you sometimes feel like, I mean, you and I both are in male dominated specialties. Surgery and cardiology are the most male dominated specialties. And so, uh, you know, we've spent all of our training um, in these male dominated fields where you feel like you have to kind of hide your femininity. I mean, if I wore lipstick, into work in our cardiac ICU or the cath lab, like I would feel so self-conscious. Like I never did. I tried to dress down because I didn't want to bring any attention to myself. And I actually always say this, that there was a period of time during medical training when I was, I wanted to make sure so much that I was quote unquote taken seriously that I really was like, I'm not going to wear makeup. I'm not going to do my hair, you know, because if even a day you are like mascara, you get some sort of comment from someone being like, oh, like, what are you dressed up for? And it's like, oh my goodness, I literally just have mascara on. And so I, I think that now that I'm out of training, I feel so much more confident to be able to, I mean, plenty of days, any of my patients listening to this will say, uh, Danielle does not wear makeup to the office. Because the truth is, is that on a day-to-day basis, I do not. I wear scrubs and I don't look great. But I have the confidence to, like, when I'm going to present at a conference, to get dressed up, do my full glam, wear colorful clothing, which I didn't have before when I was in training because of this idea that you can't, you know, care about aesthetics, but also be intelligent. And so you really embody. Dr. K, that that combination of being a feminist who empowers women and simultaneously, you know, allowing people to make aesthetic decisions that are best for them. You're so sweet to say that. This is like mutual admiration society. (laughs) (laughs) You you totally inspire me how you're Oh. You're very on top of the science and the research. And I, I want to bring some of your cardiology passion and your your focus on numbers and results that are driven by data to aesthetics. Because right now the studies in aesthetics are so small. They'll, they'll publish studies with like 50 patients or 100 patients and they'll make some big grand conclusions. And I just, I just laugh. Like my cardiologist husband and you would look at these studies and just be like, these are total bullshit. What is that? What kind of study is this? It has an N of 15. (laughs) (laughs) So I hope to bring some of your passion for data-driven analytics and research and science into aesthetics because it it is the wild west and you consumers have to be careful because you, I will see things posted on Instagram where it's one of a kind, like a person decided that they should microneedle sculpture into their, into people's faces. And like, okay, where's the research? Why is that a good idea? Wow. Not such a great idea. Actually not such a great idea. It's a, it's an inflammatory, irritating molecule. It could give you lumps and nodules when you put it in superficially. So I'm just like kind of shocked sometimes the things I see on social and how nobody's getting called out for it. But well, I thankfully you follow the scientific evidence and you have such a great reputation and you're a trustworthy resource. 
And so I think that you've given a lot of valuable tips here for anyone who's listening, who is thinking about dabbling, you know, in getting anything cosmetic done to do it safely and to do it in a way that makes them comfortable. So please tell everyone where they can find you both on social media. And if they're listening right now and they're like, I'm ready to fly to see Dr. Oh my gosh. Well, I'd love you to find me on my Instagram. It's beauty by Dr. K D R K A Y. And our TikTok is the same beauty by Dr. K our website also the same and come find me in beautiful Los Angeles. We're right by the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. And I'd love to see any of you ladies out there that want to like, if you're a first time beginner, start with the right, you know, the right touch, make sure your first experience is not a botched one. Definitely. I love that. I truly, I don't plan on leaving Southern California, but if I moved to across the globe, I would fly back for you to do my Botox just for the record. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. K. It was so educational. Oh my gosh. Well, you are the best and um, everyone stay beautiful. Take good care of your health. Make sure you do good skincare. That's the thing that really is going to help you. Sunscreen and skincare and injectables. Yes. A whole nother podcast. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I would love to keep bringing you all the latest health and wellness information and misinformation to debunk. So please do me a quick favor and leave a five-star rating review and share with a friend. Make sure to leave a comment about which wellness bag you'd like debunked next, and I'll get to the bottom of it. Follow me on Instagram at MD and our podcast page at Wellness Fact Versus Fiction, and be sure to tune in next week.